The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Friends, we are in the midst of all kinds of social and cultural upheaval. The church is to lead the way. Are we ready? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Obviously, Afghanistan is on everyone's mind. The tragic events taking place right now, the disastrous pullout under President Biden. At the bottom of the hour, I'm going to comment on that. So at the bottom of the hour, we will come back to Afghanistan. Welcome to the broadcast. This is Michael Brown. Thanks so much for being with us today. And I'm not going to focus on Afghanistan. There's a lot to absorb. There's a lot to think through. President Biden is going to make an address to the nation, actually, while I'm on the air. So, no, I will not be going off the air to watch his address. But it's absolutely tragic. It's tragic for so, so many reasons. We'll comment on that, but I'm not focusing on that right now, today. I was away in prayer over the weekend, and my heart was stirred in some other ways. And I felt this is so critical, so crucial that I needed to focus on this today and not just join in with a chorus of voices talking about the tragedy in Afghanistan. So stay with me. I believe what I'm going to share with you is going to be life impacting. Here's the number to call if you want to weigh in, comment, interact, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Friends, one of my roles on the radio, one of our roles with our podcast, our internet feed, is to be a son of Issachar. In other words, to be someone who understands the times and understands what we should do as God's people. Often, we miss what's happening in society. Often, things develop in front of our eyes, and then we're caught in a reactive mode. Things happen, we react, and we're ever reacting to the latest negative trend in society, almost like constantly fighting back, as opposed to leading the way as God's people, who are not dependent on a political party, who are not dependent on elections, who are not dependent on the state of the world around us to shine like lights. Let's take a look in First Chronicles chapter 12. First Chronicles chapter 12, beginning in verse 23. And there we read, these are the numbers of the divisions of the armed troops who came to David in Hebron to turn the kingdom of Saul over to him, according to the word of the Lord. The men of Judah bearing shield and spear with 6,800 armed troops of the Simeonites, mighty men of valor, 7,100 of the Levites, 4,600. The prince Jehoiada of the house of Aaron and with him 3,700. Zadok, a young man mighty in valor, 22 commanders from his own father's house. The Benjamites, the kinsmen of Saul, 3,000 of whom the majority had to that point kept their allegiance to the house of Saul of the Ephraimites. 20,800 mighty men of valor, famous men in their father's houses. Of the half-tribe of Manasseh, 18,000 were expressly named to come and make David king. Skip to verse 33. Of Zebulun, 50,000 seasoned troops equipped for battle with all the weapons of war to help David with singleness of purpose. It goes on all the way down to verse 37. Of the Reubenites and, and Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh from beyond the Jordan, 120,000 men armed with all the weapons of war. But go back to verse 32 because you've got all these warriors You've got all these mighty men, 
You've got all these men trained for battle, battle tested. But look at verse 32 of Issachar. So these were the, the leaders from Issachar that joined with David to help establish him in the kingdom of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, 200 chiefs and all their kinsmen under their command. So it's the smallest number by far listed. And it doesn't say anything about being battle-tested. It doesn't say anything about their weaponry. Rather, what they brought to the equation was they understood the times and knew what Israel should do. All right, friends, please hear me for a moment. We often get caught up with end-time prophecy, what's happening here, how does this headline time with the Bible, what's happening in Israel, how does it tie in with the end of the age, can we set dates or years or things like that. And for the most part, while we're doing that, we fail to say, well, what's happening today and how are we to respond? What is God saying to us? What are we to do? Not in a reactionary way, but in a way of leading the way. And as I'm getting reports, even today, several more reports from different parts of America of the Holy Spirit being poured out, some in church services, actually three reports today, some in church services where where God's moving in ways people have not seen in years, some on the streets, under tents, preaching the gospel to the lost. God's moving. Things are happening. What are we supposed to do? How does this relate to us as God's people? I want to take you back in history. I want to share some quotes with you that I've shared in the past. I've got them in a number of my books, but I pulled them out together to, to help you feel the impact of, of when the church sees things but doesn't see things. It, it sees what's happening outwardly but doesn't recognize what's happening behind the scenes. I mean, we could see, for example, last year with, with protests and riots in our streets. We could see the rise of, quote, social justice warriors. We could see a lot of negative Antifa and extremes of BLM movement and all of this without saying, well, is there something else going on behind that? Is there something deeper going on? Uh, is there a search on any level or, or something that young people are looking for? What, what are we to say to that as opposed to just exposing the darkness, which we should do? But is there something we're to speak to? And can these people, if truly, conver- truly converted, be enlisted in some world-changing endeavor? Friends, again, our broadcast is not to duplicate a thousand other broadcasts. Our broadcast is not to do what others are doing well. Our, our goal is not to be redundant, but to bring you something now that we believe the Lord has laid on our hearts for your good and to equip us for what is coming. Look at this quote. It goes back to 1967. This is William Ward Ayer in the journal Bibliotheca Sacra. So this is July 1967. If the Lord tarries, young men now preparing for the ministry will be preaching for at least 20 years in the most complex revolutionary period that has been seen in modern times. This revolution is not like the many political upsets of Europe and South America. Today's arising is world revolution. He was dead on. He was absolutely right. And the name of his article was Preaching to Combat the Present Revolution. His solution was to preach strong doctrine from the pulpit. Now, of course, that's in short. Of course, I agree in principle that we need to ground people in the word and truth, but there was much that was missing in that because this message needed to be brought out onto the streets in a way 
that that reached the the young seekers and the revolutionaries and the radicals to help bring them into a radical encounter with Jesus. In other words, there was a recognition of the extreme revolutionary times in which they were living back there in 1967 in the midst of the counterculture revolution, but not a, a widespread understanding of this is how we seize the moment. So that as things move forward, the culture will shift in a godly way rather than an ungodly way. Look at what Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade, wrote in his book, Revolution Now, 1969. We live in the most revolutionary period of human history. Social band-aids and reform antiseptics give little hope for a cure or even an improvement. A revolution is needed. You can experience this revolution. In fact, you can help bring it to pass. And by that, he was talking about being born again and sharing the gospel with others. So, so he recognized the revolutionary times in which we're living. How about evangelist Tom Skinner? Look at what Tom Skinner said. I'm convinced, 1970, his book, Words of Revolution, I'm convinced America is at her crisis hour. Revolution is inevitable. It's just a matter of which faction is going to prove strongest and will win out in the end. Now look at this. Talk about prophetic words. I believe most Americans are so apathetic that they will just sit back and go to whoever wins the struggle. So my question is, what were church leaders thinking then? What were our national leaders thinking? What were pastors thinking? What were denominational leaders thinking? I'm talking about born-again people. I'm talking about people who know the Lord and know the Word. What were they thinking? Yes, you had voices like Francis Schaeffer and others already warning about where things were going but as I've said time and time again, for the most part, the church saw the outward rebellion. Those that believed in a pre-trib rapture were convinced this was the last great apostasy and Jesus was coming at any minute. They saw the falling away. They saw the sex, drugs, rock and roll, Eastern religion. But they didn't see behind it that search for more. They didn't see behind it that cry that there's got to be more than the American dream. There's got to be more than eating and drinking and sleeping and going to school and getting a job and having a family. There's got to be more. Satan recognized that and filled the void with all these carnal and destructive things. The church, for the most part, didn't recognize that unique moment in history. But, but, but it gets worse because there are lasting implications from the counterculture revolution. And, and in many cases, the implications of it, where it was going, that was missed as well. Look at what Roger Kimball wrote. Roger Kimball, in his book, The Long March, How the Cultural Revolution of the 60s Changed America. He wrote this in the year 2000. He said, the age of Aquarius did not end when the last electric guitar was unplugged at Woodstock. It lives on in our values and habits in our tastes, pleasures, and aspirations. It lives on especially in our educational and cultural institutions and in the degraded pop culture that permeates our lives like a corrosive fog. Although sometimes tempted to ignore it, we're living in the aftermath of a momentous social and moral assault. So it looked like things kind of went away and Woodstock and all that dissipated and maybe the hippies were cutting their hair and so on and... You know, it just, there was this thing that happened in the 60s and kind of one way. No, it didn't go away. It continued in many, many different ways. It continued with radical feminism. It continued with gay activism. It continued with, 
with many other social and political ideologies taking root. I'll just, I'll just give you one example. Bill Ayers, who was a weatherman bomber. So he was involved in anti-war movements where, where they actually bombed buildings. Right, so he's, he's convicted, he's guilty of, of being involved there. What's his long-term legacy? Well, he doesn't end up in, rotting in a prison. He ends up as a college professor and as someone that many understand helped mentor Barack Obama and helped infuse some radical ideology in him. But, but this happened pervasively and continues. The fruit of it continues to go. As, as the hippies were no longer just living on communes getting high, but now becoming professors, now becoming business leaders, now becoming influencers in Hollywood, shift it, shift it, the culture. What was the church doing? Friends, we, we can't sleep our way through another revolution. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. May I draw your attention to two recent articles, one of them up on the stream, stream.org. My perspective is shifting, meaning as much as I'm concerned about the direction of America, as, as much as I'm concerned about our future, as much as I believe we hang in the balance, and it really is revival or we die, to quote the title of my book coming out in October, as much as I feel grieved and burdened, my overall feeling, my overall sense, especially as I spend time alone with God, is, is great hope and expectation because of a fresh wave of revival that I believe is, is starting to stir in many parts of America. And could sweep the nation for years to come, during which time we must take strategic steps for the good, for the future of the nation. So check that article out up on the stream. And on my website, askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org, check out the article on Pied Piper Preachers and the Gospel with No Requirements, Gospel with No Responsibility, that continues to be at epidemic levels in America. 866-34-TRUTH. Again, at the bottom of the hour, I'm going to comment briefly on the ongoing tragedy in Afghanistan and step back, do more thinking, read more, pray more, and then see what I have to write and say about it. That will, that will add. That will not just be a repetition of what everyone else is saying or others are saying. Okay, look at what gay activist David Rubin said. He's talking about what happened in 1969, the Stonewall riots, and what happened subsequently. And he said, how did that singular event in June 1969 become the fountainhead for so many of the changes that have made the world so different for queers 30 years later? So he's writing this, what, 1999, thereabouts? His answer? It spawned the gay liberation movement. In other words, the riots spawned a movement. And in other movements, he said, the Gay Activists Alliance stood for writing the revolution into law. So gay activists said, okay, we're going to protest, then we want to bring about change, then we want those changes to be written in the law. This is insight and foresight that they had while many Christians were just grieved 
over the direction the nation was going. Although individual members would ally themselves to causes not directly related to the oppression of homosexuals, the organization's single-issue focus enabled it to direct all of its energies toward working intensively in, on, with, and against, quote, the establishment on issues affecting lesbians and gay men. So they had a focus. There was a movement. Out of that movement, many different branches. And and what I've seen happen with the church, friends, just to be straight with you, to be candid, because we, we can't mishandle things in the days ahead. It would be utterly tragic, perhaps irreparably so, in terms of America. So what I believe happened is you have Christian organizations like the Family Research Council and others that are lobbying, that are working with elected officials, that are working to get out the vote, that are educating voters and things like that. And they have their roles. But somehow we shifted from kind of this prayer, 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 and let the politicians do what they do. We kind of shifted to we all got political as opposed to let the church as a whole do what it's called to do, which is on the ground, in the communities, where it is throughout America, making a difference. And then let's get educated, let's vote, and let's support those organizations which do lobby. But we kind of went from super spiritual to super political, and both miss things wildly, dramatically. Okay, look at this. I want you to see some of the effects of the, the sexual revolution. Esquire magazine, 1982. The revolution enjoyed one swift victory after another. Filmed and printed erotica, so sexually explicit material, that would have shocked in 1965, elicited yawns in 1975. I mean, these things actually happened. Just sudden shift of morality and, and the church, tens of millions of Americans watched it happen. I'm not saying you can stop moral decline, but I'm saying there's an alertness that helps you live a different way. Within less than a decade, Esquire said, the sexual experiments of West Coast college students and hippies became the stuff of everyday life for blue-collar workers in Des Moines and Texarkana. Perhaps never before had such a radical shift in mores occurred in so short a time. This is looking back at it retrospectively in 1982. And even Mad Magazine, which was the satirical, radical publication of the day, I grew up with a subscription to Mad that my dad got me, would read it cover to cover basically every month when it came in. They had a special edition in 1968, a hippie edition. And one of them just devoted to what was happening in hippie culture. That was always interspersed. And obviously written by a lot of hippies, probably a lot of Jewish hippies on top of it. So I even noted in my book, Revolution in the Church, that Mad even had the insight to recognize how many Jewish seekers there were in that 1968 generation, creating hippie names such as Muhammad Tishman, Zen Rappaport, and Shah Birnbaum, and featuring a counseling column by Abba Ben-Adam, which is Hebrew for father, son of man, who was, was billed as a mystic, a seer, a prophet, a poet, a free thinker, and an aluminum storm door salesman. Obviously, had to make a living. One of the questions posed to him came from Rattled, living in Chicago. This is 1968, Mad Magazine. 
Dear Abba, I'm approaching 30, and I still haven't found God. Man, I'm getting uptight over it. How and where can I find him? Abba replied, Dear Rattle, don't lose your cool. I'll tell him you're looking for him the next time I see him. You see, I don't get it. What I'm saying is, spiritual talk was everywhere. In the midst of sex, drugs, rock and roll, there was Eastern religion. In the midst of all the fleshly sin, in the midst of the rebellion, in, in the midst of the anti-Vietnam War protests, in the midst of the massive generation gap, there was a deep spiritual search. Again, there's the old saying, if you remember the 60s, you weren't there. But those of us who were there and do remember, remember the spiritual search. Now, now look at this. And this is so fascinating. The pollsters did not see this coming. This is Larry Eskridge in his book, God's Forever Family, the Jesus People Movement in America. He said, going into the 1960s, there was little indication of the cultural turmoil that would swarm around a sizable segment of the baby boom generation later in the decade. In fact, if the experts were to be believed, the rising generation of adults-to-be <laughs> appeared to fit in quite nicely with their oldest values and expectations. That was certainly the thrust of a late 1961 survey of American youth by pollsters George Gallup and Evan Hill. Their research indicated that American teenagers were happy with their world, if not downright complacent. According to Gallup and Hill, the typical American youth shows few symptoms of frustration and is most unlikely to rebel or involve himself in crusades of any kind. Can you believe that? <laughs> 1961! It's the exact, the exact opposite, the 100% exact opposite of what actually happened. And these were respected pollsters. They did not see what was coming. Here, here's another quote. Eskridge further noted that Gallup and Hill's findings were very similar to those put forth in a 1962 article by Harvard sociologist Talcott Parsons. The general orientation, he said, of American teenagers appeared to be an eagerness to accept higher orders of respectability and a readiness to work within the system. Two years later, Parsons found the situation to be much the same. Indeed, he believed that youth were generally becoming more conservative and perhaps more, most important, seemed more amenable to adult control. Parsons' sentiments were echoed, echoed in a statement by one university administrator who opined in the early 1960s that employers will love this generation. They're going to be easy to handle. As I wrote in Revolution in the Church, yes, that generation, which within a few years would be in full-scale rebellion, think Generation Gap, burning draft cards, gathering in droves for the Summer of Love in San Francisco, creating havoc at the Chicago Democratic Convention in 1968, and celebrating a mass orgy of the aforementioned sex, drugs, and rock and roll at Woodstock, that generation was deemed, quote, happy with the world, if not downright complacent, showing, quote, few symptoms of frustration, and being unlikely to rebel, involve themselves in crusades of any kind, demonstrating little spirit of adventure, and being content to pursue the American dream. Wow. And that's actually from my book, Outlasting the Gay Revolution. Wow, wow, wow. And then who saw the Jesus Revolution coming, the Jesus People Movement, beginning in 1967? Made it to cover stories on... Time Magazine, Look Magazine, Life Magazine. It became the talk of the nation. That's when I got saved. So I became a heavy drug user during the counterculture revolution, got saved in the Jesus Revolution, 1971, which is probably the, the peak year. So many people I know got saved then. Friends, I'm telling you all that because we are right now, we are in right now, 
we are in one of the greatest cultural upheavals in our nation's history. That's self-evident. That's obvious. Tremendous shaking last year. Ongoing shaking this year. And there are pockets around America where God is pouring out his spirit. There is going to be a great harvest. Are we ready? And will we know what to do? And can we, instead of just being reactionary, get the mind of God, get the heart of God, and lead the way in a gospel-based moral and cultural transformation, a gospel-based moral and cultural revolution? Friends, we've been talking about these things for many years. Here we are in the thick of it. Will we be sons and daughters of Issachar, understanding the times and knowing what God's people should do? We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us today on The Line of Fire. It it is heartbreaking to see what is happening in Afghanistan. I want to take some time to reflect a little bit more. Uh, I want to step back and see the developments in recent years under President Trump and now the disastrous situation under President Biden. I want to give some thought to the larger picture, and then at that point, comment in more depth, either in writing or on this broadcast. But let me say this plainly. As, as you look at the pictures, you look at the videos of, of the Taliban in the presidential palace. I mean, boom, president flees, and, and there they are in the presidential palace, and, and, and one of the lead figures recently released from, from prison, and this was part of a deal with the Trump administration, as, as Taliban were going to work with the Afghan government and, and try to have some, some peaceful resolution to the decades-old conflict there. Uh, you, you see how quickly things happen, and now the utter shock of the, I mean, boom! collapse that is so, so quick. And, and now images from the airport, if you go over there, I, I mean, tragic as, as people are, are running down the, the, the tarmac with military planes hold, holding, literally holding on to the planes as, 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 the, as they fly off to try to get out of the country for fear of what the Taliban are going to do to them. They're, they are that terrified. There are even reports, I haven't watched the videos carefully, but you can see people apparently falling off the planes as, as they're taking off, actually trying to hold on. Think of that. Think of being that desperate. You're going to hold on to a plane that's going up into the air with the hope of just getting out of the country. The terror is, is palpable. And, and atrocities, from what I understand, are already taking place. And then you have the very small Christian population, which is largely underground, what happens to them under the Taliban? And then, of course, of course, the women, the girls under the Taliban. It is such an oppressive system. It, it, it is, you have to understand it. Afghanistan is strongly, devoutly Muslim. 
and and a, a very committed form of Islam. In other words, not a nominal Islam, but a very serious Islam. But the Taliban go to another level. The Taliban in that respect are, are all the more primitive. So it's, it's not like you've got modernism, say under the Shah, uh, before he fell to Ayatollah Khomeini in, in the late 1970s. It's not like you have a move towards modernism and westernism and everything shifting dramatically and then you need this other group to pull you back to the old fundamentalism. No, this is a conservative Muslim country that remains conservative Muslim, but fighting off the, the complete takeover of the even more radical Taliban. And let's just remember, I mean, this is being quoted day and night. And if you listen to this broadcast regularly, you know I do not spend my time bashing Joe Biden. This is not, I've been saying it repeatedly in recent weeks. I do not get on the air every day, read my articles. Biden did this, Biden did this, bad Biden. Biden. That's not what I'm doing. But th- this is one thing, and tragically, that, that as things stand out, barring some utterly remarkable, unexpected, almost miraculous turn of events, Joe Biden's name is going to be associated this, with this in living infamy. Look, look, at, look at what he said. I mean, you're, you're just going back to, to last month. I mean, headlines now, even, even on CNN and MSNBC and, and others, they're bashing Biden now. Biden said there's, quote, no circumstance in which U.S. citizens would be evacuated from Kabul by helicopter five weeks before exactly that happened. There's no certain. This is what he said in July. Now, if we pull out and finish getting all of our people out, there's no circumstance under which this would happen. And this is not Saigon and the Taliban are not the North Vietnamese. Ideologically, they're far more primitive than the North Vietnamese. And then what about all the blood that was shed, all the American casualties, all the young men and women that lost their lives or that were maimed or that were came, came back destroyed with PTSD. They're still suffering to this moment. What, and as we approach the 20th anniversary of 9-11, which is what triggered us to get into Afghanistan in the first place, what an absolute tragic state of affairs. One of these things where you kind of remember where you were when you got the news of the sudden fall and the Taliban sweeping through and now the president fleeing from Afghanistan and they've taken over the presidential palace. And, and the, the terror of those that were helping Americans and working with our government and trying to be a, a bridge of some kind, those are likely some of the ones that were trying to cling to the planes to get out of the country. So may God have mercy on the people of Afghanistan on a certain level in terms of Islam, in terms of their faith, in terms of how they live. That's on them. In other words, those are choices they have made historically, and we pray for God to open their hearts and minds. But as far as progress that women were making, changes in the educational system, under the Taliban, what could you, women be educated up to around the age of eight? Something like that. Otherwise, go work in the poppy fields and things. It's just it's tragic to see. What, what about the women who are serving as mayors in different cities and what happens to them? So may God intervene. May this tragic series of events somehow be used to draw people to the Lord. And, and may, may God 
allow the blood of those slain, those that gave their lives to try to stop this very thing in Afghanistan. May God remember their blood. Again, I'll have more to say as I process this more. My goal is not just to pile on. It's not my goal. But obviously, these are things that need it to be said. 866-34-TRUTH. And with that, we go to the phones. We'll start with uh, Jerichiah in Harker Heights, Texas. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hello, Michael Brown. Hey. Hey, sir, I got a quick question. Um, You know, uh, as an American of the United States of America, I believe in the Constitution. I believe in the Bill of Rights and our founding documents and stuff like that. And I know the only one who transcends those documents is, is God himself not any political party. So uh, I have a question about how do you balance, you know, the Second Amendment, you know, believing in self-defense, you know, this is taught in the Old Testament, Exodus 22, verse 2, with, uh, you know, like what happened in Portland, Oregon, where the police deliberately did not defend those Christians. I mean, what do you do in a situation like that when you believe in self-defense and, and loving your, your, your neighbor enough to defend them? from an aggressor like that. Would I would I be sinning against God if I pulled out my nine millimeter and started shooting shooting Antifa? Right. So first thing is if we are attacked for the gospel, our first impulse, our first attitude should be rejoice. In other words, our our first attitude should not be to get the bad guys. Our first response should be, hey, this is for Jesus. Here, it's just like if you're you're street preaching and somebody comes up to you and, and, and you just keep preaching the gospel, and he tells you, shut up, man, this is my block, shut up. And you say, hey, I have every right to be here, I just want you to know the good news. And the guy punches you in the face, you rejoice because it's for the gospel. And your first reflex is not, okay, I'm, I'm going to kick this guy in the groin and take him out. It's not your first reflex. So I, I want to start there, because many times as Americans, we don't start there. That's where we want to start, no, no matter who it is, whether it's the police, whether it's Antifa, whether it's some thug on the street. My first reaction, like preachers and leaders for 2,000 years, is rejoice that we recount it worthy to suffer reproach for the gospel. Also ask yourself this question, and, and I'll get to the second part that you're asking about. Also ask yourself this question. Uh, if, if you're watching this on video, and, and you are a gospel preacher and, and, and telling someone, hey, I just want you to know God loves you. He has a better plan than the way you're living. Jesus died to set you free from sin. If you'll turn to him, he'll have mercy on you and forgive you and give you a brand new life. And, and the, the guy, next thing, you know, punches you in the face. If you stand up and say, hey, if you only knew how much he loved you, if you only... The, we, how, how would that play out in terms of a testimony versus if you blocked him because you're skilled, you know, boxer, MMA, blocked him and countered and knocked him out? Wouldn't that bring a mockery to the gospel? So let's start there. That's the first thing. The second thing is uh, self-defense is perfectly legitimate. It's, it's absolutely legitimate. In other words, if someone breaks into your home, doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. They break into your home and they, they want to hurt you or your family and you have the ability to subdue them or stop them. Perfectly legitimate, perfectly right. It's not what Jesus was talking about in terms of turn the other cheek, which is, is our right to retaliate. So now we take it to we're on the streets and, 
and we get attacked for the gospel and the police don't intervene. Uh, if you took out a gun and started shooting people, let's say they started attacking you or punching or, or someone pulled out a knife, and you take out a gun and start shooting people, I would say you've crossed the line. It's one thing even, to... Even, even when like, children are involved in, you have Antifa throwing flashbangs at children. So that you protect the children. You stand around the children as a shield. The, the whole thing is, look, Jesus said put, put the sword back in, in its sheath because those who live by the sword die by the sword. The next thing you're going to have, you know, at, at church services, instead of just good security and using wisdom, you're, you're going to have tanks outside. You know, you're, you're going to have, okay, everyone that's got a gun, I want you positioned on the outside. With So if that's the case, you'd never have persecution anywhere. You just get militias together to stop. So I'm not saying that here. Again, if you simply said, if we stood against these people, they attacked, and, and we pushed them back or we fought them off uh, because the police did nothing, well, you'd have to weigh that out if it's for gospel preaching. And now the police who, are, who have the role of getting involved, if they, if they don't, it's, it's almost like the government authorities then are saying, let the persecution come. But Jesus said if you're persecuted in one city, flee to another. He didn't say raise up armed militias. If you had simply said, would it be right for us to stand there, get in their way as they were attacking, uh, or try to push them away or push them back? I would have said, if the police are doing something and you're trying to keep them away and now don't get into a, a fist fight yourselves, that would be one thing. Uh, in my view, it'd be another thing if you pull out your gun and start shooting. In fact, I think under the law, you would have been told you went too far. You went beyond what your rights were. Listen, let's, uh, let's hear from others. 866-34-TRUTH is number to call. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about this more, my brother. We will continue to address this in the days ahead. Thanks for the call. It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey, Amy, thanks for your comment on Facebook. Police want you to know you have the American right to protect yourself and family if you feel threatened. There it is. So if the police are there, they're not responding, and you feel threatened, it's okay to pull out your gun and start shooting people and killing them? You're not going to go to jail for that, for overreaction or going too far? I, I, I question that. With all respect, question that. Okay, before I go back to the phones, 866-34-TRUTH. We have acquired two great news stations in Ohio, especially in Toledo and Dayton. Maybe you're listening right now on 106.5. If that's you, either on WTOD or WTKD, I believe it, you know the, the call letters, 106.5. If you are listening right now, I want to give you a free book. Yeah, I want to send you a free copy of my recent book, Has God Failed You? Finding Faith When You're Not Even Sure God Is Real. So if you're listening on the radio, now don't, don't get off the internet now and, and flip on the radio to find the signal, but if you're listening right now, one of our two new great stations in Ohio, Toledo, Dayton areas especially, but beyond, you're listening on 106.5. 
love to give you a free copy of my recent book, Has God Failed You Finding Faith When You're Not Even Sure God Is Real? And for those that don't have the book and are interested in it, you're allowed to buy it. What do you think of that? 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Mike in Raleigh, North Carolina. Welcome to the Line of Fire. How you doing, Dr. Brown? Doing well, thank you. Forgive me for sounding negative, but I I had to call and ask you, um, with all the movement towards one world government, I'm just curious um, how it is that we should be hopeful that there's going to be um, revival when yep. things are seem to be going the other way, sort of like Revelation tells yep. us about. I'm just curious how the two things could could both be happening at the same time. Yeah, Mike, first, nothing to apologize for. It's a very valid question, and it's a fair question. Uh, let me answer on a number of levels. Number one, historically, it's often wh- when things are the worst, when things are falling apart when society is collapsing, that revival happens. So that, to me, is, is one of the greatest precursors for revival because when things are okay, we're prospering, we're doing well overall, we're not getting torn apart at the seams, people tend to get complacent and often forget God. It's often during times of crisis. Just the fear, the fear of death and the uncertainty and the depression and everything that's happened because of COVID and then so much political turmoil and, and so much pain. So this is, in that sense, a perfect backdrop for revival. You know, every single day, when it's the absolute blackest, darkest at night, immediately after that, it starts to get lighter. So that's one thing. A second thing is, I'm hearing reports from around the country. I was expecting these reports. I have to be honest. I've been expecting this for some couple years now. But I'm hearing reports from around the country of outpourings. I mean, people just reaching out to me and saying, Dr. Brown, we're, we're having a move of God in our services. We haven't seen this before. Or pastors saying, we're, we're seeing so many people getting saved left and right. Uh, I mean, there's a harvest. There's something going on. So that's, the, that's the, the second thing. Third thing is I feel it deeply in my gut. Uh, before the Holy Spirit came in, in power with a series of, of refreshing and, and renewal movements beginning in the in the around 93, 94, 95, and from there, uh, in different parts of America, North America, went, went around the world, uh, I was sensing something was getting near. My last book on, on revival that came out before this was published March 1995, and the closing words were, are you ready? And three months later, the fire fell in Pensacola. So I, I've been sensing it. It's growing. When I, when I get alone with God, I feel it overwhelmingly. And for a few years now, I've had this internal vision, just in my mind's eye, I saw an army of evangelists all over America, on the streets, in tents, on street corners, behind pulpits, preaching in a mass harvest of souls. And I've had a promise in my own heart for many years about being in the thick of a gospel-based moral and cultural revolution. And obviously right now, society is in complete upheaval. Um, The last thing is I do not see... Revelation-type events happening yet. I see a a lot of things that could point towards it, but I don't see that happening yet. And even in Revelation, there's a multitude that no one can number getting saved out of all types of tribulation. So even if you interpret that as a future, it speaks of a massive harvest. So uh, those are the various reasons. What I see in the society, what I see God doing in the church, what I feel in my own heart, 
Uh, I should also mention that I've heard quite out of the blue from a number of different leaders and then reread some books written a few years ago from people who have been involved in past revival movements saying some, something fresh is happening. I don't know how it will happen in full. Uh, it may resemble previous outpourings. It may be very different than others. But this much I know, we must seize the moment. Uh, last point is that there have been prayer movements for years and years and years. You know, International House of Prayer in Kansas City, they, they have passed more than two decades of 24-7 worship and prayer. I've been part of massive stadium events where tens of thousands, or in some cases outside of a stadium, several hundred thousand, come together all day to fast and pray and cry out to God. And these are not political meetings. These are, God have mercy on American, pour out your spirit. I, I don't believe he's turning a deaf ear to us. So what I'd encourage you to do, Mike, is, is open your heart to the Lord. Don't believe it just because I'm saying it. Open your heart to the Lord and, and ask him uh, to give you insight. And above all, because this is a constant, ask God for awakening in your own life if it's needed. Uh, I was on my knees the last few days, and much of what I prayed for was for deeper awakening in my own life, for, for returning to first love of anything where, where I've fallen away and missed that, for fresh fire. So may the fire fall afresh. May it start in you and me. And as we start to see things happening, this is the key. We've got to seize the moment. We've got to, we've got to be ready for the harvest. We've got to turn that, the converts into real disciples. And, and then we've, we've got to branch out. We, we've got to lead the way in ministries of compassion to the poor and the hurting. We, we, we've got to, instead of abandoning the systems around us, we've got to infiltrate with the gospel and with, with quality Christian leadership wherever we can. Hey, Mike, thank you for the call. By the way, it means a lot to me that you wanted to ask the question rather than just say, ah, I can't believe this guy. So give it some thought. Give it some thought. Thank you, sir. 866-34-TRUTH. All right, let's go to Jim in Abbeville, South Carolina. Thanks so much for calling the line of fire. Yeah, thank you. Um, I had some remarks regarding the fellow that talked about the assault on the worship in Oregon. Yeah. And, and basically um, your response that, you know, in all seriousness, I, I am um, somewhat... Uh, flabbergasted at how you responded to him. I'm not sure that your response, in essence, was applicable to the time that was going on. So there's a time frame, you know, in Ecclesiastes we hear about there's a time for this and a time for that, and I won't go all the time comparisons, but I think you know in chapter 3, you know, there's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to hate, a time to love. I'm not saying those things those are coming out of Scripture. And Is there ever a time to murder? Is there ever a time to murder? No, there's not a time for murder, but there may be a time to kill. Yes, sir, E, Bob. Okay. Live by the sword is different than dying by the... You know, living by the sword is not an appropriate verse, I don't think, because it, it, it indicates that I am living out a life that I... Right, uh, but, but in context, you realize Jesus just said it with Peter just striking Malchus's ear. It wasn't that Peter was going around killing people. It was I'm that one glad instant. you brought up that, because this is the very thing that I want to get to. Jesus knew what time it was every single time he was on the face of the earth. Okay. It wasn't always she the sword, Peter. 
sometimes he said, take the sword with you this time. This no, 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 that's the same concept. You, you got that here, Jim. I don't want to distract you because you got that all wrong, Luke okay, 22. I don't want to distract you from that. I want you to take the remainder of the time because we're almost out of time. Just tell me mm -hmm. what you think the right response was. I'm going to let you take this until I have to interrupt at the end. So what would the right response have been there in Portland? Portland. The right response was for the men to get together as men, mm -hmm. not as uh, the uh, um, meek, mild Jesus that we try to portray him as, get together as men and move against that crowd, because I watched the whole thing uh, in Antifa, uh, that Antifa situation. It was for the men, for the purpose, not to over just overcome, but for the purpose to protect the children mm -hmm. and women that were in the crowd. If you notice... And, and, and Jerichiah Jericho said, though, uh, sorry to interrupt, Jerichiah said, take out guns and shoot. That was my question. That's what I, was, I said, by all means, protect, but take out a gun and shoot. So was, okay. was that appropriate? And I'm saying I agree with you in, the, in terms of the gun issue. No, okay. there were, gun was not appropriate in that position. But what was appropriate was for the men to physically move against the members of Antifa and stop them from throwing firecrackers, rocks, and everything else at the women and children. I think, quite honestly, sir, I think that was a cowardly move. It was something that the Church has been implementing uh, with their masculinity in, in the pulpit. Uh, that's really what I feel. And I think it was inappropriate for the men in that crowd to do what they did, the Christian men. Got it. Hey, Jim, you got the last word in there. Thanks. I was specifically responding to taking out a gun and shooting, but we'll continue this conversation. Thanks, sir, for calling and differing with me. I really appreciate it. And God willing, we will continue the conversation. Another program powered by the Truth Network.